Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for this time that we can spend in 1 Peter as we close it up. And we just ask that you would be with us, that you would give me the gift of teaching, and that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are finishing up our study in 1 Peter, if you'd like to turn there, with the final chapter, chapter 5. And this chapter could be several studies, obviously, in and of itself, but we're going to finish it up today. So we're going to do our best. And as we have seen, the theme of 1 Peter has been suffering, but also heavenly hope. And as we remember, Peter is writing to those believers or strangers or pilgrims who did not see this place as their home. They knew they were temporary residents in a foreign land. And they live in a constant awareness of their true home. And I think we're in that same place where hopefully we realize this is not our home and we should be looking uh, more intensely than ever before to our true home. We see that the chess pieces are moving into place, no doubt. So as we close out his letter, know that this letter was written for us as well. And so we can glean some things that will help us as we may face persecution, we don't know, as the early church did. As people are in the world facing persecution, it may come here. And so we are going to be receiving some encouragement in these dark days as we finish up First Peter. So there's a lot in this chapter, so we're going to take it in sections. We're going to go to First Peter 5, 1 through 4. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So here we see Peter is putting himself in the same category as the elders in the church. He does not put himself above them, but alongside them. And I think we see humility in that. And we're going to talk more about that. Elders are usually older in age, as maturity and wisdom normally come with age, but not always. So you can be qualified for leadership and be young, because it's not always the case. So Peter mentions he was a witness of Jesus' suffering as he followed Jesus to the high priest home and saw him beaten. He also mentioned he was a partaker of glory, that glory that would be revealed to him when the Lord took him home. He was able to look forward with confidence, even among the suffering he was experiencing and knew he was going to experience because we know the Lord told him how he would die. So he is encouraging these elders as he puts himself alongside them to do a few things. So we're going to look at the things he's called them to do as leaders in the church, such as shepherd the flock, have a heart for God's people, serve as an overseer, which is to look upon, inspect, oversee, look after, care for, shepherd willingly, serving um, willingly, eagerly, and by being a good example. And the pastor leader must be an example to the flock, someone they can actually model their lives after. That Greek word example means just that, a model a stamp or pattern others can trace or follow. John 21, 15 through 17, after the resurrection, Jesus told Peter to show his love for him by feeding and tending the sheep. So we'll read that. 
So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Peter was told to feed and tend the sheep. And pastor means shepherd. So what does shepherd mean? It means just as what Jesus said to Peter. It means to feed, to tend a flock, to keep the sheep. It also means to rule, govern, to nourish, to cherish one's body, to serve the body, to supply the essentials for the soul's need. And in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, as Jesus talks to the 12 apostles, we see what is to be the heart of a true shepherd by looking at the example of Christ. And this is what it says. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become a to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so serving is a key to being a good leader. And I think we have great examples in our pastors here at the church. They don't expect to just sit back and have you guys serve them. They're actually serving for the Lord's glory. And there are some things elders and pastors and shepherds are not to do. So we're going to look at those as we see in these verses in 1 Peter. They are not to be dictators. They're not to be in the position because they feel they have to. And money should not be their focus. It's a high calling and not one to be taken lightly. And it won't be done perfectly. And so that's one thing we do have to remember when we look at that example that we don't expect perfection because nobody is perfect. And we are all human. And so it's a tender balance of watching out for wolves, encouraging others, teaching, admonishing, and also being tender. And they are not to lead with too heavy a hand or too light of one. So there's that balance. And as you've heard my pastor, my, my husband, who is the pastor, say, and he is my pastor, he'll say, stick around long enough and I will disappoint you. And so we have to remember that when we go over these things, that it's not about being perfect. But um, we had a gal that was in the hospital recently, and I'm just sharing this because it kind of shows the balance of being a pastor, and most of you who know my husband, he's very black and white, and you know, that's just the way it is, and he doesn't have room for gray. And so sometimes people don't see that he does have this very tender side to him. And so there was a woman in the hospital that used to come to our church like 10 years ago, and I heard she had COVID and was in the hospital, and then we had somebody else in the hospital from this church, and I said to him, could you just swing by and see Debbie, because she's there, why don't you just pop in on her? So he went in, and he saw her, and um, prayed with her and all that stuff. Well, she called me, and she said, 
I have always loved your husband's teaching. She doesn't go anywhere, so she needs to get plugged back in somewhere. But she said, I've always loved his strong teaching. I've always admired him. But I saw a tender side I never knew he had. Uh, He was just so kind and soft and compassionate. And she was like, I just had to tell you what a blessing he was. And so that was encouraging and that was neat. And I've seen him with the saints when they're dying, like he'll play his guitar and he's very good with people that are ready to be ushered into the kingdom. He's done it. He did it with my mom. And so I told him when it's my turn, I want him at my bedside singing songs and that soft voice and ushering me in. So it's just a blessing. But we, we have great pastors here, not just the only him, but Pastor Al and Matt and Pastor Darrell. And we are just so blessed. So verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So there are crowns promised to every believer. This one happens to be for the shepherd of the flock, but this is a whole nother subject that we cannot get into this morning. So it's a great study on your own, but suffice to say, we will all receive rewards in heaven. So practically speaking, how can we personally apply these few verses to our lives? And so although these verses are talking about shepherds and overseers, basically of the church, we as women have people to care for, whether it be our family, our children, we may lead at work, uh, we may be a volunteer somewhere, we may be in a ministry, and all these qualities are things we can look at and study and apply to our own lives personally so we can honor the Lord. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And so no matter what our role is, he needs to be our focus. So the next portion of these scriptures is in 1 Peter 5, 5-7. Verse 5, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And so we see a verse on submission, and it's a great verses that we have definitely gone over submission before in First Peter. So we're not going to go into detail on submission, but obviously submission ties into humility, which I would like to focus on. And we talked to what, about what to put on and put off last time. And here is one to put on, humility. Be clothed with humility. Clothed there means to fasten or gird on oneself. In Peter's time, there was the white scarf or apron of slaves, which was fastened to the girdle of the vest and distinguished slaves from freemen. And so hence, that's where we get 1 Peter 5, 5. And I read, we are to gird ourselves with humility as our servile garb by putting on humility, showing our subjection one to another and to the Lord. And so I'm going to repeat that. We are to gird ourselves with humility as our servile garb by putting on humility, showing our subjection one to another and to the Lord. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Proverbs 3, 34, surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. 
And so what side of the equation do we want to be on? Do we want to be on the equation of grace or do we want to be scorned by the Lord? And so that depends on how we are. Are we going to be humble? And I know I want more grace. I want the Lord to give me more grace. And so that means humility. And there are times I am not humble. Believe me, we probably all go through that. And um, I was on the phone with my sister a couple weeks ago, and she said something that kind of hurt me. And, you know, things rise up in us, and I just kind of go, I got to go. And I hung up. And, um, So things rise up in our hearts, and sometimes we want to resist God's leading and not humble ourselves. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, and I want more of that. I want to be humble, so I say, Lord, help me to be humble. I found this definition of humility. Showing humility is willing to show the lowest and littlest service for the Lord. No need for praise or payment. True humility is self forgetfulness. Not hating yourself, not putting yourself down, but not wanting your own way. And so as I paid attention to this word humility these past few weeks, I see how much work I need to still have in my life. Um, I was speaking to someone else, and I feel like the Lord's just been working on this in me because I was like, I told my husband, I feel like I'm kind of getting beat up, so there must be something that God's working in me. But I was speaking to someone else, and they said some very hurtful things to me that really just like cut me. They cut me so hard that I cried on the spot. Like I was like, I couldn't catch my breath. And I felt very humbled, very hurt, not saying much, but yet as we process things later, we can rise up on the inside and not be humble in spirit. We might have felt like we were humbled. We might have felt like we acted humble, but inside, are we really humble? And um, I was coming back, we came back from a conference and then there's the lack of humility on the outside that we just spew it out and it's obvious we're not being humble. We came back from a conference and um, the next morning my husband's like, is there anything for lunch today because I can come home or I could whatever. And right away I was like, I've been gone and so have you. How could there be anything for lunch? We've been gone for three days. You know, that's, I just spewed it out and I got really defensive and I felt like, am I supposed to have everything in order all the time? And I, am I, was I supposed to run to the store? Was I? And he's like, I just asked a question. <laughs> and so, but we just could easily be so, you know, on the outside and we can struggle inwardly, but we can also obviously struggle outwardly. So I see so much more work left to be done in my life. And I'm sure you gals feel the same way as you look at our life situations, even in the smallest things. So Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So though God is high and lofty, one and lives in a high and holy place, at the same time he will live with men, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Isn't that a blessing when you think about that? Proverbs twenty nine twenty three: a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. And in the New Living Translation, it says pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. So once again, what side of the equation do we want to be on? 
So let's go to verse 7, which takes submission and humility to act out in real life. Verse 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And in the Roman Empire, the pagan culture could not imagine a God who cared. And so as Peter is writing these words, they were strong and comforting words. This is a scripture we probably all know. We've probably all quoted it to somebody. And but truly, when we cast our cares on him, we get our focus off ourselves, which truly we are then being humble because we're like saying, it's not ours, it's yours. When we cast our cares on him, we are realizing our place. We are humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We are submitting to his authority in our lives. We are realizing it is you, Lord, not me, who can carry this burden, this weight, this sorrow. Oh, how we need to be in this place. And so real quick, I want to go back to 1 Peter 4.19. You can look there. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And I just have been going back to that phrase, faithful creator, because when we want to cast our cares on somebody and we know we're casting them on a faithful creator, it's like, wow. I mean, that's, he created us and he's faithful. He created our kids and he's faithful. So he can be trusted. So we can certainly cast our cares on him. The word cares in 1 Peter 5, 7 is anxieties or pulled apart. So do you ever have any anxieties? Do you ever feel pulled apart? I know I do. A cast is to throw upon or place upon. So we're to throw our cares or our anxieties upon him. And obviously that's easier said than done. It's a constant, you take it, Lord. Um, it's way too big for me. And we pray. I think that's the bottom line. We have to pray. And I have been praying for our children, of course, but specifically lately for our second son who has walked away years ago from the faith after years of attending Bible college, teaching Bible college. And he was our easiest child growing up. You guys have probably heard the story before. And who we thought would be the least likely of our kids to walk away from the Lord. And so, and my prayer for him this year is, Lord, may he humble himself under your mighty hand. And so I just keep praying that. Every time I think about him, I just say, Lord, humble himself under your mighty hand. And we just talked about that in 1 Peter 5, 6. And that's how I cast my concerns of him on the Lord. I pray, and that's not easy, but oh so necessary. And he is more than able to carry my anxiety concerning him or any of our kids. Luke 21, 34 says, but take heed to yourselves. That means you're supposed to be paying attention to what you're doing. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that that day come on you unexpectedly. And so we can look at that verse and say, well, we're not drunk, we're not carousing, but are we allowing the cares or the anxieties of this life to consume us? So now Peter has some more instructions, these dealing with our enemy as we go further in. After he gets us all relaxed, like cast all your cares on me, everything's good. Then he tells us to get our game face on. So it's kind of like, okay, we got to shift gears again. So 1 Peter 5, 8 and through 9, and this could be like a 45-minute study all by itself, but it won't be. So 1 Peter 
5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So we're going to look at the action words in these verses. Be sober means to be temperate, not influenced by strong feeling, to be circumspect, careful to consider all circumstances and possible consequences. Prudent. Vigilant means give strict attention to. And so our youngest son is a Fink's policeman and he always talks about situational awareness. You've always got to be aware of what's around you so that you can react. And this is what we need. We need spiritual awareness. We need to always be aware of the spiritual that's going on. And we had a a party at our house Friday night with our grandson, and he invited all his football friends. He's 10. And so the parents came, and non-believers were there. And this guy at the end was talking about He stayed at the end. It's like everybody had left and he's talking about the cryptocurrency and all that stuff I don't understand. And he was just going on and on and on. And I said to him, have you ever read Revelation? Because I was like, I want to be spiritually aware so I can bring people in. He said, yeah, yeah, I have. Kind, I've read it. And I said, because, you know, it talks about how no man will be able to buy or sell without the mark. And I said, can you see how that's moving us in that direction? So it was neat because we got to talk a little bit, but we always have to have that spiritual awareness of how, you know, the Lord wants to use us and also the spiritual awareness of how the enemy wants to attack us. And so we got to have that balance. We are to resist our enemy, it says in these verses. So that's to withstand, oppose, and we are to be steadfast immovable, fixed in the direction of our faith. All these things we are to do and why? Because our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. John 8, 44 says he's the father of lies. John 10, 10, he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Revelation 12, 9 tells us he deceives the whole world. So if you did your homework... You will have seen in order to keep your game face on and do these things. Peter is telling us we need to put on the armor of God. That is a big topic. So briefly, we're going to give you those pieces and encourage you to do a study on them and apply them to your daily life. And as we quickly look at these, know there are corresponding verses to each piece that we don't have time to go into today. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. And we're just going to go piece by piece through these. And Shelly's going to put them up there so you can just see them just to have a visual. So Ephesians six ten says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so how do we do that? Next verse, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so there we go. We see that spiritual awareness we're supposed to have. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, verse 14, having girded your waist with truth. And so the belt of truth is our first piece. Truth is the belt that holds all the other pieces pieces of the armor in place. And this here refers to the truth of scripture as opposed to the lies of Satan. 
And I think we all see we need to stay in the truth in sound doctrine. We see many churches getting off and not staying into sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is key. Still in verse 14, the next one, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So that is Christ's righteousness, not our own righteousness. That covers and protects us, and we always need to remember that. Thank God we have that. Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So the shoes of the gospel. And as soldiers of Christ, we must put on gospel shoes. And that will allow us to march wherever our Lord leads. And our next study is going to help equip us for that. So as we go into tactics, we're going to be able to get our gospel shoes on. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So the fourth piece, the shield of faith. When Satan attacks with doubts, the shield of faith turns aside the blow. When temptation comes, faith keeps us steadfast in following Jesus. We are able to withstand all the devil's fiery darts because we know whom we have believed. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation, the fifth piece. The helmet protects the head, perhaps the most vital part of the body since it's the seat of the thought and the mind. When we have a sure knowledge of our salvation, we will not be moved by Satan's deceptions. When we are certain that we are in Christ with our sins forgiven, we will have a peace that nothing can disturb. And in verse 17, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the sword of the spirit, the word of God, it's the only weapon of offense listed in the armor of God. All the other parts are defensive in nature. God's word, the Bible, is described as living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. The sword of God's word both protects us and destroys our enemy, the devil and his temptations. And then verse 18, even though it's not considered a piece of the armor, it's something we need. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful, there we go, our spiritual awareness once again, to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So praying in the spirit. And though it's not one of the pieces of the armor, yet Paul closes his list by saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. So even when you are clothed with the armor of God, you need to bathe it all in prayer. Prayer begins, brings you into communion and fellowship with God so that his armor can protect you. All the pieces of the armor are found in a relationship with Jesus. Paul said it like this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, 14. And so if we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can put on humility. We can clothe ourselves with all those other things. But then we are clothed already in the whole armor of God. They're already given to us. These are tools in our tool chest or in our kitchen gadget drawer. You know, you need the right one at the right time. And we have them, but we must actively use them. All right, let's go to 1 Peter 5 verse 10. Another full verse. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Lots of words there. Perfect is to make you complete or mature you. 
establish is to make stable strengthen is in reference to our soul strengthen our souls and settle is to lay the foundation so basically that verse is saying we may suffer or we will suffer but he will mature us he will give us stability he will strengthen our soul and lay a foundation we can trust in as we walk in a dark world Philippians 1 6 being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it that means accomplish it perfect it execute it until the day of Jesus Christ so let's finish up in 1 Peter 5 11. to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever amen and to that I say amen and amen verse 12 by Sylvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So this portion was probably written by Peter's own hand after he, according to the custom of the day, had dictated the bulk of the letter to Sylvanus. This man was probably the same one known as Silas in many of Paul's letters. Verse 13, she, meaning the church, who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Peter concludes with a command to greet and display God's love to one another and by pronouncing a blessing of peace. So these two things, love for each other and peace, are especially necessary for those who suffer and live in dangerous times. I'm sure in the Ukraine, they want love and peace more than anything. And that's us. We need God's love and peace towards one another, and we need one another. So stay connected. Keep coming out. Love one another. And I just thank you for finishing strong in First Peter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for getting us through this book, Lord, and we just pray that we would apply it to our lives, that we would continue to go over it, continue to read it, continue to learn from it. Lord, we thank you that you are with us and that no matter what comes ahead, we have your word. And we're so thankful for it, Lord. So help us to continue to read it so that it's in us, even if it gets taken away from us. Lord, we thank you for the food that you have blessed us with today. Bless our time as we get into our small groups and as we study more on 1 Peter chapter 5 and as we fellowship and as we pray together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.